the one who has words of eternal life, Jesus. And hope, hope it's not a book. Um, it's not a concept. It's not a new diet. It's not a set of meditations. It's not a meditation app. Hope is a person. It's, it's Jesus, the Word, the Light, the Son of God, our Savior, who, who became flesh, who suffered and died for us, that we might have life and light and hope. And He's one who's full of grace and truth, and one who walked, and one who lived, and one who died, and one who rose again among us. Right? And we learn these things in John. Now, uh, as early as, as 6 a.m. this morning, I was planning to go from verse 6 all the way to 18. Um, and I still have it up there. Um, but we're not getting that far today. It's, it's just, I was over. And um, I had still had seven points about the incarnation. And I thought to myself, maybe we better do that next week. So um, we'll just slow down and... And see, there's, these are just so packed through, packed with just truth in these few verses. Um, and John just writes and packs things in. So we just have to, to take our time in, in the way that we need to. I know I promised that we would, would get through uh, and not take too long on a, on a chapter, but this is how it is. So, Well, verses 6 through 8, we see the witness, uh, the witness of Jesus among us. And that witness we see is John, not the author of this gospel, but John, John the Baptist. Let me read verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So here we have, and throughout the gospels, every gospel speaks about John. And this is, again, not John the apostle, but John the Baptist, or you might say John the Baptizer, because we don't want to get him confused with someone who started the Baptist denomination, but he was the one who baptized. Um, and here we would see, say that John is John the, the witness, or the, the one who gave testimony. And this is John, the one who called people to turn from their sins. He called them the people of God to, to turn back to God. And he baptized them with the baptism of repentance. And then he also pointed to Jesus, that the Messiah is coming soon. And he prepared the way for them. And as he spoke, he gave witness about the light that all might believe. So he gives witness that, that all that heard would have opportunity to believe. And we'll see that not all do believe, not all do repent. There's some that clearly reject him. And John writes that. But he writes, and we see the main purpose again of John. So if you were gone last week, um, so I know a lot of you were traveling for for Labor Day and you're back. It seems like a whole different church this week, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's okay. But the purpose of John, and John, as he writes, he tells us his purpose as he writes. At the end of John, in chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, here's, here's what he's going to tell us, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So again, John, he's writing so that we might believe. Um, and we talked about last week, some of us, if we have beliefs, so that we, it, our beliefs would be solidified or that we would grow in our faith or that 
if we're wrestling in our unbelief that the Lord would strengthen us and give us faith. And he writes these things, and it's the same for us as we walk through John, that we'd be encouraged. And maybe even if you're far from Jesus and you're wrestling with the, the claims of Jesus, that even as we walk through, you might say, yes, I want to trust and follow Jesus. So, so he writes, and John the Baptist witnesses and, and points to Jesus so that all might believe. And something we see, too, is that there's a clear distinction between John and the Word that we talked about last week, who is Jesus. John, he's a man sent from God. Um, so he's a man. He's not God. Uh, last week we saw that Jesus, where John begins, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Saying, Jesus, fully God. John, not so much at all. So there's a distinction. John was sent by God, and he's not like him in that way. And Jesus, too, Jesus was, always was, and always will be. And John, again, not. He's a man born. And two, we see that he is also, he's not the light itself, but gives witness to the light. So Jesus is the light, and he, he's one who reflects the light of Jesus, that points to Jesus. Later in this chapter, John will say, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. And I think that's uh, a wonderful creed if you want a creed. <laughs> and remember, I'm not the Christ. And you point to the one who is. And later on, again in this chapter, Jesus comes and he sees Jesus. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So John isn't the light. He reflects the light. He points to Jesus. I've mentioned before how... Uh, as our kids were growing up, we had a book that had, was all about the moon. And the moon was this boastful moon who talked about just how bright he was at night and how um, I think the sailors could use him to help navigate and bring light and how the, um, the tides would rise and fall because of him. And then all of a sudden, the, the sun shines upon the moon and he's like, oh, okay, actually, uh, I'm reflecting <laughs> the light of the sun, and we're reminded, um, too, that we are those who, if we know Jesus, that we have the privilege of reflecting the light of Jesus. Um, But we're not the light. Um, We aren't hope and we aren't life for people around us. We aren't hope and life for our kids, or we aren't hope and life for our spouse or those around us, but we can point to the one that is, right? That's our job, ambassadors of the hope and the life and the grace that we have, that we can point to Jesus. And we're also reminded that others aren't the light. Other leaders or pastors or preachers or government leaders, they're not our hope. They're not our light. Um, And we have to be reminded of that. And even here, it seems that even John is reminding those who might be followers of John the Baptist, hey, he was not the light. He was a shiner of the light and pointed to him. He's a witness to the one true light. So we have this witness of John. And then verses 9 through 13 We have responses. So as the gospel is going forth and the the light is shining, how are people responding to Jesus? And we see some responses to Jesus. We read in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So it just begins, and we see that the true light, the genuine light, again, the true light, true hope, true life, has broken forth into the world. Light that shines in the darkness. Last week, verse 5, we studied the light shines. Uh, Present tense, 
the light of Jesus, he shines into darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the true light has come. D.A. Carson, who is a, a um, biblical scholar, and um, he is smart, and a lot of stuff he writes, I'm like, hmm. Um, but, but he said this about this verse. He said, John, and I say, hmm, because it's really smart, kind of over my head sometimes. So D.A. Carson, he says, John's point is that the word who came into the world is the light, the true light the genuine and ultimate self-disclosure of God to man. So he's the light that he showed himself fully to man through Christ. So the light of Jesus shines on everyone here, we see, but one must decide how are they going to respond to the light. And we see some that reject him and then some that receive and believe in him, some who trust him with their life and their all. So we see a first rejection in... In verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So we see that, that Jesus, he, he was in the world. And he is speaking here of the incarnation. That's um, God becoming flesh. Jesus becoming man. God made flesh. And he came into the world, this world that he created. He stood on the earth that he created. And he was amongst it, as we, lo- we saw last week in verse 2. He, or verse 3, all things were made through him. All things were made through Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. Again here, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. So he came into the crea- the, his creation. He's a creator of all things, and he entered in. And Jesus, he could have stood there and said to all those around him, I made all all of this, and they might have been like, your tunic? Are you a tailor? You know, what are you? No, no, all of this, you, I made you. He's a creator of all things, so he enters in, yet, says, yet the world did not know him. It means it did not believe him. They did not receive him. They, they rejected him, as often the world does today in the same way. Even though he is still the creator of all things and holds all of the universe together, yet at the same time, he's rejected. And Someone might say, well, you know, you have your thing and I have, I have mine. Um, or you have your truth and I have mine. Or you have your reality and I have mine. And That's nice um, to say that, but it's just not true and it's not sustainable and there's no hope there. It's just not truth. He created all things, and there's a call, his kind call to believe and receive and to trust in him and find hope in life, as we sung about in several different ways this morning even, about the hope that we have in Jesus. And then we see a second rejection in verse 11. It says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So he came to his own people, most likely, he, John is writing, he's saying that Jesus came to the Jewish people, the Israelite people, and they didn't know him. And again, they, they rejected him. They turned him away, and they killed him. They did not expect the Messiah to come in poverty. They did not expect him to hang out with fishermen and with um, trader tax collectors. They didn't expect him to hang out with sinners. They expected one who would come as a military leader to come and defeat Rome. 
and set his kingdom up then as a geopolitical leader and king at that time. So they didn't understand the prophecies in Isaiah that the the prophecies of that suffering servant who would be pierced, who would be crushed and die for the sins of his people so that they could be healed and forgiven. So they rejected him and then they called for his crucifixion, crucify him. So the one who came to rescue was the one that they rejected and killed. And we see that happen today. There's this legend um, I came across this week from, from Wales. Um, there's a village in Wales, a small village that's called um, Bedgalert. I'm, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Every time I try to, to do these, I'm way off, but you can correct me later. Uh, the, the name, this name means the grave of Gellert. And it's a famous legend of this hound dog, Gellert. And there was an Irish, or, I'm sorry, that there was a, a man called uh, Llewellyn the Great, and the dog was an Irish wolfhound. And it was a trusted dog that he had. And, and this is a real place, and this is a, a true uh, legend. If you go there, they'll tell you about it. Uh, he would go, and he had a castle there, and he would go hunting. And um, the story is, is that one morning he went out hunting early, and he had a child that was young and was in, in a crib, and he, he heads out, and the dog w- was there to, to watch over the child. And then when Llewellyn comes back, um, he finds his dog comes to him, and, it, and the dog is, is bloody, um, and he then is like, what is going on? And he looks for the child. And he can't find his child. He finds some uh, uh, bloody, bloody um, cloth from um, the crib. And in his anger, he takes and he, he plunges his sword into the dog, into the hound, and kills his beloved faithful dog. And then soon after, he, he finds nearby a huge wolf that had been slain uh, by his faithful dog and the child laying safe nearby. And in his blind rage, he kills this faithful friend. Uh, it's a small reflection of the way that Christ comes in to, to, to rescue. And yet often he's just turned away and rejected the one who came and, and died, uh, suffered all, rejected. So the question might be, well, did all reject? The answer is no. Uh, we see verses 12 through 13 that some who believe and receive and find new birth and new life in Jesus as children of God. We read, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So John clearly teaches there are those who did receive him, and that's the idea that received to believe in him, to trust that indeed he was the Messiah who came to die for them and rescue them. There are those who believed in him and he gave them the right to become children of God. They're adopted. They're brought in. They have new life in him when they receive him and they're born again. This is new life. We talked about how we live in a world that's, that clearly knows that, that we're broken, but that new life and that hope is found in Jesus and he calls us to it and says, yes, those who receive him are given the right to become children of God. And then we say, well, well, how is one born again? Verse 13, who is born again, not, not of blood, it says. 
not a blood, maybe in your, if you have an NIV, it translates it of not by, the, not by natural descent. It's not by connection to any kind of heritage or ethnicity. Uh, that's not where our faith is. We can't say, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian because of my parents or my grandparents or my great-grandparents. And as much as I, I, I'm encouraged and thankful for the faith of, of my parents and, and my grandparents and great-grandparents, my a great-grandfather I've mentioned before is a, a Lutheran pastor who came over and went to North Dakota, of all places, and planted churches. Uh, but I can't say, well, I'm a believer because of his faith. No, it's not by blood. It's not by human initiative. It's not by the will of the flesh. Uh, maybe as you, were, as you were a kid or maybe to your kids or to nieces or nephews or others, you've read uh, the book, the, the Little Engine That Could. I think I can, I think I can. That's not it. We can't just, I think I can, our way into heaven. Uh, we'll always fall short. Uh, we just can't do enough. Uh, we can't be give enough or, or serve enough or love enough to receive new life. Amen? And it's not by the will of man. It's, it's not a set of rules or adherences that usher us into the kingdom and give us the right to have a relationship with God. So how are we born again then into the family of God as children of God? He says, it's but of God. It's a work of God. It's by the sovereign hand of our God, our salvation, our new life. We were moved from death to life, from being without hope and without God in this world to being those who are those who are kept safe in the hope of Jesus, one who is our hope dead in sin, to alive in Christ. It's by grace, through faith alone, that we are saved. If you remember, as we walk through Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Amen. It's not a result of works. It's not of the will or the flesh or the blood so that no one can boast. Our first Peter, maybe you remember walking through that a while back, and I read that this week, and I was like, oh, you're speaking about it again, as I was just in my own just reading time in First Peter. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. So we're reminded it's, it's all of God, his work in us, and it's a call to place our faith. It is by grace through faith. And what good news is that? And that good news, it's not about your efforts, or your contribution, or your identity as being a good person, or whatever it might be, or for me as a, a wonderful pastor, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying, I'm not saying I am, I'm just, but even, the, even this morning, Kelly and I were praying, and she's like, uh, she just prayed for me, and just prayed that, that my identity would rest in Jesus, and not in how bad or good I, I preached a sermon today, and I was like, man, that's what I needed to hear this morning. 
And this is the good news we hear for all of us, that we don't have to rest on our own works, but in Jesus. So in this, we, we see God's mighty, merciful, gracious, compassionate, sovereign hand at work in our salvation. God took and takes initiative in, in our salvation, rescuing us, um, that we, we were once dead in our sins, but now when we rest in him and receive him and believe in Christ, we're given this new life in him. Um, and as the Spirit convicts us and opens our eyes to sin and, and pushes us to Christ, some of us need a little nudging, others of us need dragged in. But too, we see in this verse, we see also the free will of man that's called to respond, to receive, and to believe. One commentator and professor, Dr. Gary Berg, said this. He said, this is John's understanding of conversion, Deliberate faith joined with divine transformation. Then he goes on and he says a little bit more. I found this hopeful. He says, The pitfall of a religious person is to think that human spiritual um, proclivities can bring God into reality through religious devotion and practices. John says that God takes initiative. For God became flesh. God discloses himself. God enters our world bearing truth and grace in order to transform whoever will receive him. Transformation is not an inspired human work. It is a divine work through and through. I love that. Transformation, it's not an inspired human work. It's a divine work through and through. And as we'll see, whenever we're wrestling through scripture, we see these these paradoxes, these mysteries, and we see the will of man and the sovereignty of God, and there's a, uh, a mystery there that we have to wrestle through and, and try to understand. And I think sometimes when we try to, to um, remove the mystery, then we kind of can have some issues and problems. We kind of go one way or the other, and then we start fighting with each other. Um, but it's good just to sometimes to allow that mystery to be. Even things with, I think, of, um, uh, with the Trinity, Three persons at one God. Um, resolve that to me for me today. Now, it's something we'll wrestle with. And we can wrestle with, and it's okay to wrestle with these mysteries because we're reminded that we are finite, and we have a God who is infinite. So we shouldn't be surprised that there's a mystery. Um, just think about even creation. Even in the created world, there's mysteries. There's things that scientists, as much as they would like to figure everything out, they can't get to the depths of it all. There's always mystery. Uh, you can uh, talk to a resident physicist, and he'll tell you that, that there's a wrestling. And they, they're always trying to figure out. Um, there's mystery there, even in the physical world. So we're reminded of that. This is one way I've mentioned before, and it's just kind of the best way, as I've wrestled through it, to, to think about speaking about it, as we hit these mysteries. And this is kind of how I think about it. And it might be five years from now, I'll, I'll think about them differently. I don't know. But this is how I say it. I feel like we always need to be cautious and try not to over-systematize and quantify what we may never understand on this side of eternity. And instead, we're to sit in awe of God and the mystery of his mercy and his grace, of his justice and his love, all mingled together in the suffering servant who is king, who suffered for us.
So as we uh, walk through this, now you can see why it was probably good. I didn't try to do seven points of the incarnation. <laughs> um, we'll do that next week. But the question is, well, how will you respond to Jesus today? There's an opportunity to, to either reject him and say, well, that's one option. Or to say, yeah, indeed, he is a creator of all things. There is no other option. There is no other hope. There is no other life. I, there's no other self-help book that's going to help me. And embrace and turn and receive and believe and trust in Jesus, the one who graciously died for you in your place and then rose again, fully God and fully man. Then we're also reminded that light uh, overcomes darkness. I think we should be reminded of that. Again, last week, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We're reminded that this world is full of darkness, and we feel it, and the world around us feels it. And we can be assured that the darkness doesn't win, that Jesus will not be overcome. And we have a message that can break forth into that darkness as well. And there are those who will hear and that will be born again, that will find new life as they hear and see just our testimony of Jesus. That we talk about his death and his resurrection, and they too will declare with us then that Jesus is the Son of God. The Word become flesh. So we're reminded of those things, and others around us will say, indeed, where else would we go? He's the one that has words of eternal life. So there's no self-help book section that's going to help us. It's Jesus that we need and his words and his life. And even if it means today crying out, I believe, but Lord, oh, Jesus, help my unbelief. We can even cry that out today. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for um, your kindness to us. That as we come in today, we don't have to rest on how good um, we appear or how good we are, how good whatever it might be, but that we can rest in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his life live perfectly and his death for us and resurrection, that we can have life and that we can be those who know that we are children of God, forgiven. We thank you that we don't have to walk through this world in darkness Um, wrestling through realities and truth, but that we can know that there is rock-solid, unchangeable truth in Christ Jesus and his word, and we can rest, find hope. Lord, I pray, uh, if there are any here that are still wrestling with these things, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, as you do the work, that you would give them faith to believe, to turn, and to repent, and trust in you. We pray, even as this book is written, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit through the the Apostle John, that we might be strengthened in our, our faith and grow in our belief and our walk with Jesus, we pray. What I pray that you would also remind us that we are in a world that is searching, that needs help, needs hope, and that we can with confidence remind us, Lord, that The light is not overcome by darkness. So we can share. Yeah, there might be those who reject, but Lord, remind us that there are those who will receive and believe by your 
kind hand. So Lord, we pray that you would continue to, to grow us. Uh, use this gospel from week in and week out for the however long it takes us to walk through and wrestle through this. Uh, that you would grow us to be those who love you more, that rest in your strength, that are reminded that your grace is sufficient for us and that your power is made perfect in our weakness, seen so clearly in the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we, we were